Welcome everybody to Elmtown episode 28. Today we'll be talking about the library Elm Paginate with the author Jeff Shomay. You want to say hi, Jeff? Hi. Glad to have you. And we're going to hear more from Jeff in a second, right after I get past the important announcements and sponsors. First announcements, which I never do, but I'm doing right now and I will do in the future if that's something that we want to do is a new meetup for Elm in Queens and Brooklyn in New York. Uh, those meetups have started. So I will throw the link in the show notes, which I'm going to say right here, meetups link. And go ahead and look at that if you are in New York and you want to go meet up in Queens and Brooklyn. Next, we have our sponsors, A1, which is the company that I work for and that I love. It's a beautiful journaling and life archiving map. map. <laughs> app for Mac and iOS and Android. So there we go. We're expanding out a little bit. I use it all the time for keeping my my thoughts in, but I also keep it for things like keeping notes in, keeping show notes for Elmtown, uh, keeping notes for meetings, uh, saving my bookmarks. I mean, I use it for all kinds of stuff. And uh, I drop photos in there of my beautiful family that I love. And uh, it's great to go back and, and see them and see those moments in the past that I would have passed on from my memory if I hadn't recorded them. So I love day one, and you might love it too. Go try it out because the, there's a free version. Uh, we are subscription model, but you can definitely download it and try it out for free. Start it out for free on the App Store or on Android or on Mac. Uh, next is Daily Drip, which makes keeping up to date on programming skills easy. It's a training service, which will save you a ton of time by providing quality lessons and resources for you right off the bat. Some of the topics that they teach include Elixir, Crystal, React Native, Go HTML and of course, Elm. Learn faster and more efficiently with Daily Drip and be a better developer. Every weekday, you'll get a short video, about five minutes or so, delivered to your inbox if you sign up. You can sign up today at dailydrip.com and use the coupon code ELMTOWN 2018, ELMTOWN, all lowercase, all one word, 2018, and you'll get a 14 day free trial. Now, last but not least is Ellie, which is the Elm Live editor. Thank you so much, Ellie, for being our our bandwidth sponsor. It's a big help to us. And big thank you to Fergus Minkeljohn who produces this podcast. Uh, that's a big help. And so thanks, Fergus. Let's dive right into it, Jeff. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, what you're doing, what you're interested in, and how you got here. Yeah. Hi, I'm happy to be on the show with you. Thanks for having me. I've been interested in Elm for quite a long time. I've started playing around with it just on my own projects and learning all about uh, sort of that ML style and static typing, and I really got into it. And I worked on a project that you may have heard of. It's a narrative engine I made. That's where I really cut my teeth and got used to learning what, how to use Elm, and uh, in particular, how to come up with the patterns to, for as you grow a project. And that led and you me you spoke into, about that. I, I was going to say you spoke about that ElmConf, right? 2016. Yes, I did there and in the Elm Confit Paris as well. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So I liked Elm more and more and wanted to be able to use it. And I uh, spoke with the people where I worked at Pivotal Tracker at the time and presented it and got some interest. And we started to use it in a few small areas of our app there as well. And that's how you got established. That's how you got into it at that point, right? Yeah, that's where when you're using Elm in production, you, you really have to learn it. And that's where everything was sort of battle tested and the patterns were, we really had to work them out and figure out what worked and what didn't. And overall, I think everyone enjoyed working with it. I certainly did. Uh, 
and I've continued to work with it both in my own projects and as much as I can in my career as well. Excellent. So what kind of stuff are you working on nowadays, either in your career or your own projects? Um, I, I've continued to work on the Elm Narrative Engine. At the moment, I'm trying to build a visual editor for it, which is in Elm, and then there's a backend as well that I have to work on. Um, but I've also been experimenting with, with more languages and other languages as well, and porting some different projects that I did in Elm uh, to other languages that are still functional, but not aesthetically typed, and uh, seeing the difference, especially when I have to refactor and don't have a compiler to help me. So uh, that's been interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So then tell us a little bit about the library we're here to talk about today is Elm Paginate. That got picked when I asked for libraries on Twitter and people responded. And, and uh, I think it was Mike Onslow. I did, I'm so sorry, Mike, if I'm saying your name like like a crazy man, but said, yeah, we're using this library and, and we love it. I'd like to hear more about it. So Jeff, did you do that while you're at Pivotal? Yeah, I did. When one of the Elm projects that we did at Pivotal is we were making a new membership management dashboard and we had to paginate the list of members. And so we started uh, just sort of building that right into the main code. And it turns out that paginating is a little more complex than you think it might be at first. Uh, in particular, if you can change the, the collection that you are paginating, for example, if you insert some new data, that will change how many items are on your page. Or if you want a consistent page size, you have to sort of re-segment your list and sort of slide it forward to make room for the new ones, which might add more pages. Or if you remove elements, uh, sort of slide them back to maintain that persistent page size. Uh, and you might actually lose pages. And if you're on the last page, the question is, what do you do? So there's all these Ooh. questions about it. <laughs> Side cases. Let's quickly go over for those who may not be familiar with the term pagination, uh, what pagination is or paging is as it's also called. And this is when you have a large data set and you only want to show a portion of it at each time, right? And you have some controls to say, show me the next bit or the previous bit. Yeah. Or go straight to some page. Would you would you say that that kind of covers the basics of pagination? Yeah, definitely. And my what I think of is always Google search results. They have that little pager at the bottom that has like page one, page two, all the way up to page 10. And you can click on one of them directly or you can click next or previous. Uh, and you Great get example. a certain so, fixed number of search uh, results in the per modern, page. Modern web, modern SPA, single page app, Elm world. Why would you use pagination and where? I know you said you're using it on your users list. Why did you do that instead of something like an infinite scroll or you know some of this new hotness that people are diving into? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it might come down more to a product decision than a technical decision. Um, you, you certainly could take that route. And even if you do take that route, uh, depending on how you're, how you're loading the information, uh, that sometimes that is similar to pagination. And I think my library would apply or could apply to that. Um, but it depending on how you want it to work, it might not apply. So it's really a product decision more than a technical one, Definitely. I would say. I have my own answers to that too, because I've thought through this for our apps a couple of times. I just think that's an interesting 
question to ask and and also the implications of like well do you want to be able to deep link to a page and you know the contents on that page is that something that you want to reflect the right. url you know and that's possible with like you said with your library too and stuff so well that's really interesting so tell me then how long did it take you to write this library and why did you decide to do it as an open source share with everyone thing instead of just keeping it internal yeah good question um I don't think it took too long to write it. I got really excited about the idea of writing a library around this, and I went home and wrote it on my own time uh, and couldn't wait to apply it to what we were doing at work and see if it actually helped, which it did. Uh, and I had two or three iterations on it, but overall it did not take that long. And uh, the reason I open-sourced it was just because it seemed like a well self-contained a unit of value that could be used on any project and so it was like it suited well for an open source library and i was happy to be able to contribute something and also just to get my name up on yeah, packages so this is, this is the only <laughs> package so far that you've that you've open sourced no, I have a couple. Um, I actually made a second package in order to support this package called Elm Bounded Numbers, and we can go into what that. What was the, uh, and the then TLDR I, on that? The talk too long didn't read. <laughs> well, the idea is it, it's just a like a regular number, and you can increment it or decrement it, but you give it a low endpoint and a high endpoint so that you can define a range and it's impossible to set the number to something that would be outside of that range and it just ensures that whatever you actually want to set your value to will always be clipped to be within that nice. range that's awesome um so tell me then about the api for for elm paginate is this something that you imagined correctly on the first time you wrote it all out and you're like this is awesome and then you shipped it and you started to use it and you're like yeah this is perfect i don't need to make any changes <laughs> no that's that's not how <laughs> it went <laughs> uh, so the i guess the the first iteration before it was even a library on its own if, if you don't mind i'll, I'll start there because that was really the the first step um, we were handling all of this manually, the idea of how do we break our list up into pages and which page are we currently on. And like I was saying, if our, if our list changes, how do we recalculate that and make sure that all the numbers are right. And if we do, if we are on the last page, go out of bound, we have to fix that. And so we just had all of these pieces of state mixed in with our model and all of this logic handling the mechanics of that pagination stuff mixed in with our business logic. And that's a pattern that I've learned to watch out for if you're sort of doing these mechanics of just managing something very manually, and it really doesn't have anything to do directly with the business logic of your app. For me, that's a prime candidate to try to abstract out into its own data type and potentially its own library. It's a nice little and smell so you got going on there, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's a pattern that uh, that I always try to follow, and it was very clear here. So that was sort of the first step was just doing it all manually. The second step, and where I started with the library, 
was taking what we were doing manually and just wrapping it up in the library, uh, but not really changing the approach. There were kind of two main approaches that we considered at first. One of them was to just hold this idea of what page you're on and how many items per page. And that was the main state. And then you just would manually divide up your list and get the correct subset of it when you need to render it. Uh, so that was the first approach. And that's kind of the approach that I took in my first iteration. So the paging information would be its own data type that was held separate from the list or the collection. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, that worked out, but you have to keep those manually in sync. If you change your list, you have to update the pagination information, which is a big source of bugs that they could get out of sync. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm always on the lookout for two separate pieces of state in your model that are dependent on each other. And if there's a way to wrap them up together, then that can avoid those bugs altogether. Gold. You're like dropping these little, yeah. these little, <laughs> this is great for those who are listening. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, the second pass through was to include the collection with the pagination data. And the, there were more than one way to go about this. One idea is just to segment your list. I mean, if you're going to paginate it, then just break the list up and that will solve, that'll do the trick. Um, but it makes it harder to do operations on your list because it is all broken up now. And uh, if you even want to get fancy, if you don't, you might want to use something like a zipper list, which has the idea of which of those uh, elements is active and you can sort of go next and previous, but then it's buried even deeper if you want to do operations on your list. And so I didn't want to sort of mess with the actual value, which is your collection, but I wanted to be able to add this context of pagination information to the value without actually changing the value. And so that was the ultimate approach. I think that was the second or third iteration. And, um, I just left the data alone and held that same, like what page you're on and how many items per page and all that separately. And I ensure that I do the manual work to keep those in sync. If the list changes, then I have to update the supporting pagination data. That's all handled and well-tested in the library, uh, but it allows you to work directly on your list and then get the page information when you need it, which is largely a view concern and almost never a model concern so there's some nice separation of concerns there. That's awesome. So tell me, what what were the most important tools to making this kind of an API possible? I'm going to just throw out there and guess opaque types were important, and we can describe what those are for uh, for those who don't know. Um, and yeah, what like what was your underlying data structure? Well, okay, I'm sorry. I'm actually getting ahead of myself. First, can you describe to me really quickly what the API looks like if you're just a user? Just you know, explain to me like yes. five months old or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, and I think that some people got tripped up on some of the decisions that I made, but I have a good reason for making these decisions. So I'd be very happy to say Please, that. Those are, I love um, that. love hearing that stuff. <laughs> so 
you you might think that a paginated list is sort of just a special kind of list, and you might expect essentially the list API uh, that you could just access directly. So like you might think you could call like filter and and map and fold and all these functions that you would find on the list API directly on the pagination or paginated list API. Uh, but I explicitly did not want to do that because I'm not just building another collection type. I'm adding this context to a value. And there, there another issue that we can talk about in a moment is it may not always be a list that you're paginating. You might want to paginate like an array or a dictionary or something <laughs> <Wow>. else. <laughs> and we can go into that because that's really interesting. Okay. But uh, not replicating the API of that collection type was an important decision. And so instead, uh, aside from the API that lets you get information specific to, to the pagination, like what's the current page, what's the total number of pages, how many items per page, and give me the slice of items that are on the current page. Aside from the pagination type of concerns, there's a map function that I implemented and that's where people get concern, confused is that they think the map will apply to the items in their list. But map is actually just jumping over this pagination layer and lets you operate on your collection value directly. Mm. So you would map to get through the pagination, and then you can do any of the API for whatever your collection type is. If it's a list or an array or whatever, you just... Uh, use the normal API as you would, but you have to sort of hop over this extra pagination layer so does, that I've wrapped it in. Does that, uh, does that open up the possibility of me mapping over my paginated list and like inserting 100 items and destroying the, the state of the page count? Uh, that would be a problem, but that's what my library does is it handles it. And so it, you may indeed, if you want to add items to your list, uh, you map over it you append your new items or filter or sort or do whatever. And because that's wrapped up in my map function, it knows to recalculate all that pagination data so that you're always in sync. So is there is this a parameterized uh, container where you can say like, well, I've got a paginated list of, I've got a paginated thing of a list, and then you know how to query the length of the list. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how you would do that stuff internally or, uh, or yeah. is it through callbacks. Like this, this is exciting. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me the juicy this is stuff. the, yeah, this is the juicy stuff. Um, originally I just started with a list and I just implemented it where it's a list and that's all you get. And I agonized over, should it be a list or should it be an array and the trade-offs of each of those. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, a lot of times people will have their their collection in a dictionary because you want that for easy lookups. And then I thought, well, now I have to support that. And then I realized maybe people even have their own custom opaque types that they want to paginate. And how can I possibly deal with that? I mean, I literally can't because it's opaque. And so I had this idea of essentially if Elm had type classes, it wouldn't matter what that type was as long as it had just a couple of functions that I need to do my work, which is, um, I think, getting the length and being able to slice it and 
I think those are the only two that I need. So let's pause just but for as, a second there. I don't want to use, yeah. lose your train, but those who are listening who don't know what type classes are, that's a thing that uh, comes from languages that that adhere closely to category theory and mathematics, and specifically Haskell uses type classes to represent things that have abstract operations on them. So like Jeff said, you just said that the things you needed, which were, to, I need... Uh, the thing that comes into my to operate on needs to be able to I need to be able to get the length and to slice it and like that's kind of an example of what a type class might be. It's just saying something that I can slice and get the length of. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and so Elm doesn't have type classes, and so I, I you can't do that as sort of simply as you could, for example, in Haskell, um, because you don't have these functions sort of tied to this type class. And so I thought about it for a little bit and if it would be worth offering this customization. And at first I thought, no, it probably doesn't matter. But then I thought this actually, I think will be important and make it more usable. And so I built, there's a standard paginated list if you just sort of want vanilla list. But if you do want to control what your collection type is, there's a custom version of it as well. And you have to just bring your own uh, length and slice function. And the only sort of annoying thing, this kind of overhead and clunkiness, is that you have when you when you call certain uh, parts of the API for paginated list, you have to also give a record of these functions. Right, that and then sense. I can just use them. I, I thought about. Uh, because I need them in a couple of the API, like when you initialize it, I need it. But then also, if you, um, I forget which ones there are exactly, but uh, there's at least a couple more that need those functions as well. And I thought about just storing those functions in my data type, and then I wouldn't have to ask for them again besides the initialization. But this gets stored in your model, and you're discouraged from putting functions in your model for a number of reasons, including that you can't serialize them and you can't use equalities on them. So I just went with the more verbose manual way of just asking for those functions whenever you uh, I need them, and you just have to make your code a little more verbose. That's really not that big of a deal, though, because I mean, I, if let's say I had like uh, a Murphy Murphy dict or something, which has been a thing in the past. I've we're not going to go there, though. So, like, let's say I've got my own <laughs> Dict implementation I want to use this with. I could uh, create a new Elm module, import your paginated list, and then curry those functions and repeat them in my own module and call it, like, curried Murphy list, paginated list. Or not curried, yes. but, like, like, Murphy paginated, right? And so then I've just got, I use those functions that are already pre-applied, and then I'm not verbose anymore. Sounds, sounds fine. Yeah, exactly. And that was sort of this this question that I've sort of flopped back and forth on a bunch and it doesn't, you can do it either way, but what you're suggesting would definitely make that, make that nice. And essentially your opaque type wraps the my paginated list. I've been wondering if that's the better way to do it or to have the paginated list wrap your opaque type and both would work. Uh, but the way you're suggesting kind of makes that a little bit smoother to use. I guess it just depends on what angle you want to view it from as, as the yeah. user. Yes. And then there's also, as long as we're talking about this, I think one of the more, I don't know, annoying things, but necessary things is a lot of times if you have a collection, 
uh, it's something that you're going to fetch from an API. And so I usually wrap that in a loadable type, which just says mm. like, hey, this is loaded, it's done loading, or it hasn't fully been loaded yet. And that way you know like it's sort of in progress or not. Uh, and so that means you have a, a loadable that wraps your uh, custom type, which wraps the paginated list uh, or however it works. Uh, and so there's a few layers that build up and you have to jump over all those layers to actually get to your value, which is a little bit annoying, but I, I think that's pretty standard. And I usually just build helpers to get through those layers. So to be clear, your, the way that your library works, Elm Paginate, all of the data that you want to paginate through should be present in memory. Is that right? That's right. It is an, fully in memory. I mean, you could, uh, you can easily add to it. And if you wanted to sort of forget some of it, if there's space concerns, you could, but it's basing it on the amount of uh, the, the length of whatever you have in memory. You know Unlike, what? oh, go ahead. Sorry. Unlike, Unlike a virtual list, like, or an infinite, an infinite scroller or something, which uh, bases it on the, the total amount of things, even though they might not all be in memory at the same time. When, once you mentioned the loadable data type, I was like, how crazy would it be to have a paginated library that also is loadable so that your next page is fetched, you know, is, has like a fetching state as well, so that it can control the, the fetching and not of the next and previous pages? That would be pretty pretty crazy uh, yeah i think you could do that uh outside of the library like if you're on the last page or you, you could try to prefetch it or just when you ask for it um and you don't have it then then ask for it i think we even did something kind of like that when we used it that that sounds like a ripe area for experimentation and expansion but i do yeah. i want to get to <laughs> one other question if you don't mind before we're done because this, this is a really uh, important question, especially I think for those who are just getting started in the community. Uh, those who haven't spent a lot of time with a really powerful type system, uh, I notice tend to trend toward using too many, uh, what was it called? Like like native data preference or, or basic data type preference where uh, you could, like you were saying at the beginning, you could represent an paginated list, but with like a record of some ints and some bools and a list of things. And uh, you right. can do that, even though it's a lot of hand, a lot of work by hand. Um, but you obviously have hidden those details and used Elm's more powerful data structures, or your the abstract data types and the opaque data types to create a nice API. Can you talk a little bit about that? And especially to the new Elm users as to why you would do that? Like, why would you wrap up and leave behind the the basic rules and ints and records, you know, where possible? And um, and how can you recognize opportunities to do that as well? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think that's where, as you become more and more familiar with Elm or uh, other languages as well, that's where you start to see patterns where you can do this. And um, like I mentioned there's some things that I just sort of will notice a pattern and then realize maybe there's a better way of doing this. And a big one for me is if you're just doing a lot of stuff by hand and there's just a lot of, I, I call it mechanics, and that's not just your business logic, then there's probably an opportunity to express some of that, either express it in a type that based on its shape or what it encapsulates 
can handle a lot of those mechanics for you, uh, or just being able to encapsulate a lot of that logic in this type uh, or in a, in a library um, so that you don't have to do it right there in your app. Those are kind of the, the biggest pattern that I would say to watch for. And you can, I mean, just creating a type to sort of hide all that and have its own API that takes care of doing all those mechanics and it's well tested. That's sort of a simple first step without getting too clever or fancy with the types. And then beyond that, uh, just playing with types and realizing how much you can represent, you can sort of encode logic into types to some degree. Um, like my bounded number is an example. Um, if that is a type that I use, it doesn't matter how it works internally. I know that I can't ever go out of range and I can just rely on that because of the type. And that was sort of why I decided to make that a separate package just so that I didn't have to do this lot, like just checking is this number greater than the max or lower than the min in my pagination because that's not really a pagination concern. That's its own concern. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So I just had this thought, tell me if this is crazy or not, but I feel like the analog from meaning the comparison from object oriented languages where classes are used to encapsulate data and the functions that operate on that data, the, the comparison in Elm would be a, an opaque data type and the functions that accompany that data type that can take it and return it. So when we say opaque data type, we mean like maybe you expose a type with um, some constructors, or maybe you don't even expose the constructors. Maybe you just expose the type. That's probably that's probably what it means when there's an opaque data type. Sorry, I'm thinking crazy things today. You just expose a data type, like for example, paginated list or something, or like paginated. And then on the inside, you don't expose the constructors for that data type. Um, but you maybe provide some functions where someone can give you some values and you can ex uh, construct that data type. And then you give a bunch of functions that say, hey, take this uh, data type that the person can't construct except for with my special functions and do these operations on it. So you're saying, I'm going to define the and limit the, the types of operations that can happen on this data type and express and encapsulate certain logic and behavior based around this data type. Now, I, I feel like that is pretty close to uh, to a class with functions with with the exception of it's not, uh, it, it doesn't fragment your state. Or in other words, it can't actually store any state inside of itself. All it can do is represent what data looks like and operate on that data. So it keeps you in a stateless world. So there aren't like classes with internal state, but it does allow you to encapsulate behavior. Does that sound right to you, Jeff? Yeah, that's right. And I think one key point of that is uh, there's not, like, you, you should watch out for getters and setters for the most part, in particular when getters and setters just kind of let you into that value that you're trying to encapsulate. In the opaque type, you can't mess with that, like, encapsulated value directly. That's kind of the point. And so, like, for my bounded number, there is a setter, but you're not setting that int directly. You're saying, here's what I'd like that int to be. And the library will figure out, well, I can't go that high, so I'll just set it to this. So the idea is you're not able to mess with the data, get your hands on it directly. And that gives that layer of protection. Super cool. Well, I think this is an extremely valuable pattern uh, and, and tool for those who are 
who haven't quite gotten there yet because they're still getting used to normal types. If you're used to classes, go ahead and look at this this type. There's this pattern of having an opaque type with accompanying functions. It's really a, a powerful thing. Okay, well, that was amazing, Jeff. Any other comments before we hit the, the picks part of the show? Um, just I'll finish with kind of what I think is the, the sizzle of the library. Uh, this may or may not have any practical applications, but it's really cool. Uh, once I realized that you can have your own custom collection type, then my mind went to, well, what about an infinite stream? And what? the idea of paginating a list that just goes on forever. And that kind of gets to what you were saying with like a lazy loading list. And so this might actually be a way to do that. Uh, so I played with this idea. All that you need is a length and a slice, uh, if I remember correctly. And Elm has a, uh, a data type for a lazy list or a sequence. And uh, there was a way to figure out the length, at least of what you know at the time, and to be able to get a slice with, with take, for example, and drop. And so I made a paginated infinite list. And I did an example uh, using Fibonacci where you can just jump through five uh, calculations of Fibonacci at a time from pages zero to page infinity. And if you want, you can just keep clicking that forever and uh, it, it paginates it for you. Well, so with the length thing, how do you represent infinity as the length attribute? Uh, I don't remember exactly what I did, but I think in the calculations, I probably use whatever has been calculated already or something like that. But I do know that I hard-coded infinity as the page one of, and I think I just hard-coded infinity at that point. Or maybe I even return, Elm has an infinity type, I think, uh, and maybe that's what I return. That is awesome. That, <laughs> do you have that sample up on the web somewhere? Uh, I do. Um, I think it might be linked to on the Elm Paginate Elm Package site, um, or maybe not. But I have a Medium article. If you just search for Elm Paginate and API Design Postmortem, and it's on Medium, I have a link to that. Or if you just search for paginating Fibonacci in Elm, I think you will find it. I'll try to get you awesome. a link. <laughs> I actually, I got the Medium link just now, so I'll paste that in the, in the show notes as well. Cool. <laughs> Super cool, Jeff. Thank you. So tell yeah. me then, do you have any picks to pick? Picks to pick? Uh, what, does, what do you mean by that? You mean any other libraries? I mean, as I failed to tell you before the show, do you have any things that you like, uh, like cool tools that you use for Elm that you think uh, other users would like to hear about? Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I guess in as a general uh, thing, there's there's a, you know all lots of all, most of the popular editors have pretty good support for Elm, and just in general, I see a lot of people that don't make full usage of all the plugins that are available for whatever their favorite editor is. Some are better than others or have more support than others, but I just encourage people to explore the Elm plugins that their editor provides because it can make working with Elm a lot nicer 
a better experience. So just in general, just do a search for whatever your favorite editor is and really experiment with what's out there. That's my gen- general suggestion. Um, and then specifically, I mentioned the, or I, I kind of touched on a data type called the zipper list. I use those very often. And I think that was kind of the list or the, the data type that opened my mind to seeing the power of a, a type that is beyond sort of the natural types like you were talking about earlier. And so I encourage people, if they're not familiar with a zipper list, it has a few other names as well. Uh, and there's quite a few implementations of them on Elm packages. But just look up zipper lists and what they do and what they're used for. And uh, I've used that very often. The one I've used in the past on the library pack, package library specifically is Richard Feldman's select list. Yes. I don't know if you've used that one. It's a good one. Yeah, I have. Excellent. You can also add in some like programming related, but not Elm specific stuff if you want to, if you're burning to make any other recommendations there. <laughs> I think just encouraging keeping your mechanics separated from your business logic. If you can do that to the point where your your main your lines of code in your in your app are almost especially in Elm almost expressed as just English sentences. Uh, if you, once you abstract your your types out like what we've talked about today, it's something that is very confusing and all these sort of nested lets and case statements and all this manipulation can almost become just a readable sentence. And so shoot for that level in general. I love it. Yeah, so much, so much now of my code has to do with like, let me just make this more readable and and less like, how on earth do I even achieve this? So that's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Jeff. My only two picks, I'm actually going to repeat them from the last show because they are, I, I want to emphasize them, but we have a Patreon now, which means there's a place where if you would like to donate to the show and and show your appreciation monetarily, you can go ahead and do that. And I'll put that link in the show notes. That would support both this show and Reason Town uh, because they're both kind of run by, by the same person, same efforts as me. Uh, and then also Reason Town is uh, what I'm going to pick, which is our sister podcast, uh, so far run by me, I've been on every episode up till now, but Jared, who's the co-host is also diving in some, up uh, with some interviews of his own there coming soon. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, reason is an excellent language. I'm using it in companionship with Elm right now. And it's, it's really, uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, and so I recommend checking out reason town and checking out reason as well. That's all we have for today. Any last words, Jeff? No, thank you very much for having me on the show. You are so welcome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great day.